up on today's show, Danielle Smith holds her first news conference and all hell breaks loose, as she said, it's the worst case of discrimination she's ever seen. What unvaccinated people had to go through, we'll hear from all kinds of callers on that. We'll also chat with Gwendolyn Dirk, who is the NDP candidate for the by-election in Brooks Medicine Hat, and the Federal Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkins joins us. Man, oh man, as you know, there's a lot. We've already got callers on the line want to talk about Danielle Smith and her and her comments yesterday. So we'll do that. But listen, first of all, um, you can call in and defend Danielle Smith if you want. I'm not buying it, though. Okay, it's indefensible. And I think, I think, being generous to Danielle Smith, I think if we got a hold of Danielle Smith and we had her on the air, she would say, listen, okay, I overstated yesterday. It's fine to say that you think unvaccinated people in Alberta have been discriminated against. You can make a case for that. I mean, lots of them lost their jobs, right? Couldn't go here, couldn't go there. I get it. Sure. Discriminated against? Okay. You want to call it that? That's fine. Um, But to say the most discriminated against group that I've ever seen (laughs) in my lifetime, uh, that's going too far. It just, here's what she said. If you haven't heard, and this is what all the fuss is about and why there's people on the phone line already, this is what she said yesterday. They have been the most discriminated against group that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. Okay. No, they're not. No, they're not. And and I think if Danielle Smith thought for a second and you had a chance to explore it a little more deeply with her, she would say, no, I, I, I misspoke. I mean, Danielle Smith in her lifetime is the same as my lifetime. We were both born in 1971. So do we need to go through the list? No, I, I, don't, I don't think we need to go through the list. If you, if you want to talk, well, let's just stay right here in our own backyard and with residential schools that were in operation right up until 1996. People discriminated to the point where they were taken from their homes, right? All those sorts of things. You can go farther afield. Apartheid happened right into the 1990s where you know what happened in South Africa. Take a look at what's happening with the Uyghur Muslims in China. Right. So listen, it's indefensible. You can call in and defend it if you want. I won't even argue with you. It's fine. Uh, it's indefensible. It really and truly is. And I think, I think if Danielle Smith was being honest with us, and I'd love to get her on the air and ask her, she would say, yeah, okay, I overstated it. It's okay to say they were discriminated against. You can make a case for that, surely. Uh, most discriminated against? No, no, not, not even close. Um, the more interesting part of it all uh, to me is some of the conversation that she had around the Sovereignty Act and um, the issues around carbon tax. But the Sovereignty Act, listen, help me out. Explain it to me. If you're a Daniel Smith supporter, I know a lot of you are, Do you feel like she softened too much on what she told you during the campaign versus what she said yesterday? Because what she said yesterday is, um, well, the Supreme Court is is the final arbiter in our country, and and that's just the way that it works. We are going to take the, the issues as they arise, but my intention would be to fight vigorously all the way to the level of the Supreme Court, hope we can make the best arguments, and if new information becomes available, if we end up losing, to, to find an opportunity to relitigate on those. But we will be defending our constitutional jurisdiction vigorously. Yeah, uh, okay. Well, that's what we've been doing, right? I mean, if the Supreme Court is the final say, then that removes the whole, if there's a law that we don't like, we just won't enforce it, which I think was the was the firestorm creator when it came to the Sovereignty Act. So help me out. Explain to me, what what's the difference between we're going to defend our constitutional rights vigorously right up until the Supreme Court? What's the difference between that and what Brian Jean said, uh, what Travis Tave said, what Jason Kenney campaigned on and indeed did? as he had a couple of fights in the Supreme Court. What's the difference? 
It seems to me they're they're the same thing. And and, and the other one that kind of caught me off guard yesterday was saying she was talking about building codes, but she also referenced carbon taxes and said, you know what, if here in Alberta we don't get our act together and don't bring in a lot of these policies that the federal government is, is telling us to bring in, and we just leave it to them to bring in the policies, policies, then we're at their mercy. So we need to get going on a building code because that's our jurisdiction, and we've been told if we don't do it, then Ottawa will impose it. Okay. And she said, we should have done that around energy and carbon tax. Well, we did. We did do that around energy and carbon tax. The NDP brought in a carbon tax made in Alberta to keep the money in Alberta. Her government pulled it, knowing full well that as soon as they did, the Liberals would bring in the Ottawa. So a lot of it's not making sense to me. And it seems to me like there's some shifting. And that's understandable. Going into the... Uh, leadership campaign is different from the by-election, which is going to be different from the general election. The positions are going to have to change because we know there's going to be some massaging and there's going to be some common ground found in the caucus room where they can all come together and present this. So how are you feeling about what was said yesterday, though, especially around the Sovereignty Act? If you want to argue with me and tell me that people who didn't get vaccinated are the most discriminated group um, in Danielle Smith's lifetime, go fine. I'm not going to argue with you. What's the point? Um, but you can go ahead and say that. Uh, 780-496-0063-403-974-8255. We'll take a short break and uh, back with your calls right after this. We will continue with your thoughts and your calls uh, regarding um, what we heard. And first of all, kudos to Daniel Smith for holding a press conference in the press room at the ledge. I, I think that's a great idea. I'm glad to see that happening once again. And uh, and she stood there and she took questions and she answered them. And uh, that's good to see. That's fantastic. What came out of the press conference has a lot of people with raised eyebrows, a lot of people happy. A lot of people concerned. How do you feel? Let's start with Shane. Hi, Shane. You're on the air. Hey, Shay. Hey. Uh, like we, you know, the people that listen every day realize that you're going to criticize whoever the conservative leader is. Was oh, that right? Every, sing- every single day okay. on the show and on the network all day long for something. But if you want to talk about what Danielle said, she's right. No, she's not. Okay. Shane. Well, yes, she is because. You know, I, I know that ascribing you know victim status is very important for the left, but nobody in Canada that was is ever such told, nonsense. Listen, that no one in Canada was ever told they couldn't go to work, they couldn't get on an airplane and fly anywhere. You ever heard of a no-fly list, Shane? Have you heard of a no-fly list? Yes, because, but that's because of something you have done. There's lots of people on the no-fly list that didn't belong on there. That's 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 baloney. Oh, no, is it people, okay? People in Canada have never been told they couldn't go to work. They couldn't go to church. They couldn't... Uh, you ever heard of Daniel Vreend? Have you ever heard of the Daniel Vreend case? Okay, this is a The teacher who was fired for being gay. Have you ever heard of that case? Have you ever heard of the Supreme rights, the Supreme Court cases around gay people who couldn't... Okay, you're, you're citing one single case. Okay, so you just said that never this, happened. This it's a lie. It has happened. People that did nothing other than refuse a vaccine that is now proven that they didn't even test it to okay. see if it prevented COVID. Okay, let, let answer me this. Um, you're a kid growing up on a reserve somewhere and somebody comes and oh, takes you and go. throws you in a residential school and you're never seen again. Who's discriminated against worse? The guy that's not allowed to take a flight to Vancouver or that little kid? I understand that, Shay. Okay, well, then you're also, wrong. This is, this is, this then is you're wrong. Who was discriminated? Hang on, hang on. Who faced worse discrimination? I get it. I get it. Who did? You know, answer the question, Shane. Who faced worse discrimination? The natives, but this is okay. also a blank. So then thing. she's wrong. Okay, so what's your point? That's my point. She's wrong. 
she misspoke, and I'm sure she would say she misspoke. You want to try and defend it. It's indefensible, Shane. It's, it's, it's the victimhood Olympics here, Shay, and it's not, it's, it's what they did Who's to us. Who's being the victim? I'm not allowed to fly to Vancouver, so I'm, I, I'm the worst discriminated against Canadian in the history of the country? Who's being the victim, Shane? This is 2020. We've learned lessons from the past, Shay, and they just decided that we couldn't go to work to support our families. We couldn't attend faith services, no matter what faith you are. Yeah. We couldn't, you know, that's not right, Shay, in this day and age. She's standing okay. up for us, and there's a whole lot of people in the province that appreciate what okay. she's done. Okay, I said you can make a case they were discriminated against. I agree with you, absolutely. To say they were the worst discriminated against group uh, in her lifetime is ridiculous. It's insanity, and you're defending well, If you want to go, go with the natives, they never told any, any native person they couldn't get on an airplane. They never told a native What's person. What's worse? What's worse? You can't get on an airplane, or you can't live with your family, and you might never go home again. Which one would you pick, Shane? It's, it's, Answer me. It's which 20, one's 20, worse? Nobody's what? Which one's worse? I guess that, but that didn't I, happen. I guess so, too. Thank you, Shane. I appreciate the call. Lines are full. I'm going to keep moving. David in Edmonton, you're on the air. Hi, David. Hi, uh, Shane. So I just have two comments, and then I have two questions for you. Okay. So I agree, not the most discriminated, but definitely was discriminated against. I personally had to get vaccinated to keep yeah. my job. Okay. Uh, I do believe carbon tax is a complete farce. Um, uh, two questions for you. What would you say if she agreed with people losing their jobs? And question number two is why can't Alberta be treated fairly? That's all I have to say. Okay, hang on. Hang on. What would I say if she told people they should lose their jobs? Yeah. For what? what, would, what what's your opinion if she if she came out and agreed that that companies are are okay to tell people to stay home with no pay because they didn't want to get vaccinated. Well, first of all, she has no business telling any private company what to do on those regards anyway. I mean, that's... I agree with that. Yeah. But what I'm asking is if her opinion was different, if it was the other way around and saying, okay, well, I agree that companies uh, can do whatever they want because people don't want to get vaccinated. I would agree, I would agree with her. Private would companies can different? operate their companies the way that they see fit. I'm a free market guy. Uh, okay, so it's okay to tell people what they can put in their bodies. Well, no, it's not. Nobody's okay, telling anybody what they can and can't yes, put in their are. bodies. Yes, they are. Yes, they are, Shay. And you know it. Yes, they are. How? how? They're definitely telling people because if you don't, you can't make a living. In some in, in some industries, you're right, and that's. And you want to say that's being discriminated against? I'll say yes. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You made a choice. The consequence is the choice. Call it discrimination if you want. I'll grant you that. I'll say, yeah, you're being discriminated against because you weren't vaccinated. Sure. Exactly. Okay. And I'm glad you agree with that because that makes sense. Excellent. Okay. Thanks, David. What do you have against the Sovereignty Act? What do I have against the Sovereignty Act? I don't know what it is. It changes day to day. That's what I have against the Sovereignty Act. Because one thing it was, we're not going to respect the laws of Ottawa. And then the next day it is, well, if the Supreme Court rules, then that's the end of the story. So... How does that make sense? What about what about Ottawa respecting us? That's a different what conversation. That? That's a completely different conversation, David. Not really. Not really, sir. Not really. It's all. It, it all goes hand in hand. How? Explain that to me. I'm, to I'm fascinated. How does that? How do they go well, hand in hand? Okay. So it's okay for them to tell us that that we can't build pipelines, we can't export our oil, we can't produce our oil. That's fine. That's fine with you, I guess. So basically, guess you should stop guessing because you're you're really bad at guessing, David. You're trying to put words in my mouth that I have actually said the opposite of on the air. You're really good at this, Shay. You're a professional. I'm not. 
But you know what Clearly. my point is, and so do many other people do. Okay. Thanks, David. Appreciate the call. Let's try another David in Calgary. Hi, David. You're on there. Shay, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for calling. Uh, you're you're going to earn your money today. <laughs> I uh, I feel for you, but you know what? I uh, I commend you for doing the job that you do every day. Hey, I mean, it's, uh, it's, I'm I'm always good for a conversation. A, I have no. We don't have to agree, David. No, I agree. And I was I was uh, I was texting you, and I was wrong in in uh, the uh, the comment that you texted back about residential schools yeah, in yeah. 1996. I was right. not aware of that. I'm not from Alberta. I've been out here for 12 years, um, so I was not aware of that. But my point and why I was calling in was was with respect to the the Sovereignty Act. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm a little bit uh, on the fence as to whether, as a conservative, whether I think it's it's going to accomplish what uh, what Danielle, what conservatives, and what Albertans want. Um, but I think the nuance here in between with what Danielle is speaking about, uh, with respect to her comments yesterday, was the fact that she wants legislation in place to prevent the federal government from having overreach. And I think her comments were that when there's no action being taken on a specific file or in a specific jurisdiction and the federal government steps in, their fight on that front and on that file is always with respect to the fact that Alberta hasn't taken action and isn't doing anything with respect to that specific file or in that specific area of jurisdiction. So she's trying to bring in legislation, I believe, in order to proactively prevent the federal government from actually taking actions in future in provincial jurisdictions. Um, and I think that legislation is going to try to prevent the feds in future from doing that. I think the gray area that you rightly spoke of is the fact that she's flip-flopping. When, yeah, that's the issue, uh, right? On the Supreme Court piece um, as to it's unclear what what is her government going to do with that legislation different from Premier Kenny when the Supreme Court makes a ruling. And I think that still remains unclear. I think what she is saying, though, different from the Kenny government and from previous conservative governments is that. And I think, David, you make a good point in terms of we, uh, I'm sorry, I got to get to the news here, but you make a good point no in terms of, Thanks, yeah, we've just got to wait and until we get the final version of what it's going to be. And I think, you know, what she presented during her campaign is going to run up into what the other caucus members and cabinet ministers and people who also ran against her in the campaign presented, and they're going to have to find the common ground and that's going to be a process, but boy, it sure has changed. Like I say, we've got to take a break. chat with Gwendolyn Dirk, who is the Alberta NDP candidate for Brooks Medicine Hat. We spoke with Barry Morishita, the candidate and leader of the Alberta party in the riding yesterday. Uh, and as I said, we have the invitation extended to Danielle Smith, who is the uh, UPC candidate in the riding as well. So we hope to speak to all of the candidates today. We're going to be chatting with Gwendolyn Dirk of the NDP. She joins us now. Uh, Gwendolyn, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Good morning, Shay. Let's Thank, get a, uh, you're very welcome. Let's get a bit of the background here. You're, you're brand new to politics, right? This will be your first uh, election campaign? I certainly am. Tell us about your background and how you came to be the candidate in Brooks Medicine Hat. Well, my background is in education. I taught for 33 years. The last 13 years of my career were teaching at the college. Um, my division shut down at the end of 2020, and at that point, I decided to retire from teaching. 
And I just became very involved in community service, uh, volunteering in the community, getting on different boards. I'm on the police commission at this particular point. And I also became involved with our local uh, constituency association. And I found the more I learned about the issues in Alberta with the UCT, the more sleepless nights I had and the more concerned I became. And in the end, I decided that the best thing I could do was put my name forward. And here I am. You're up against two veteran politicians, Danielle Smith, Barry Morishita. As you know, uh, Barry Morishita was the mayor of Brooks, uh, president of the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association. He's been around. Um, How are you going to try and counter their vast experience in politics? I think simply by being authentic and being myself. Um, I'm a member of this community. I attend all the events in the community. I know people in the area. I talk to people in the area. I've been out in the doors talking to people since I was nominated in June. And so I hope that they feel my authenticity and appreciate that. Um, And you're not a parachute candidate. This is your riding. This is where you live. You're not somebody just being dropped in at the last moment. That is correct. Um, What are you hearing from the people of Brooks Medicine Hat? What are the campaign issues you think might resonate over the next month? Well, the number one issue that I hear at the door is the fact that people cannot get a family doctor in Medicine Hat. Mm -hmm. Um, No doctors are accepting new patients, and that is a direct result of the war that the UCP uh, fought with the doctors. So doctors feel like they can no longer trust the UCP, and they're fleeing the province. We're losing doctors. Uh, Other medical professionals are also frustrated and they are leaving. Another issue that people are very concerned about is affordability. People are more concerned about paying their bills at the end of the month and being able to pay their bills um, than they are some of the issues that Daniel Smith is bringing to the table. Um, It's important to understand um, what people are saying in this community by listening to them. Um, A third issue that's very, very important is uh, curriculum. Um, People do not want this curriculum. It was not supported in the beginning and it was forced upon Alberta students, teachers, parents, and uh, people would like a curriculum that will take our, our kids into the 21st century. What about the relationship with Ottawa? How do you feel about the relationship with Ottawa? Do you support the way Ottawa and Alberta are interacting? Do you support the Sing Trudeau coalition? Uh, how do you feel about what's going on with Ottawa right now? Obviously, I, like every other Albertan, I would support um, more fair representation in Alberta. Um, that's, there's no question about that. I feel at this particular point, however, that isn't an issue that I'm hearing mostly about. Okay, that's an issue um, that's secondary to being able to pay your rent at the end of the month. Um, Last question for you here. There's a convention in politics, and I'm sure you know that um, a party sometimes will sit out a by-election when a leader is running, trying to seek a seat, because you know what? Broadly speaking, it's good to have 
the Premier in the legislature answering questions from the opposition. And um, has there been any discussion about you not running in the by-election and waiting for the general election and following along with that convention? No discussion at all. In fact, quite the opposite. I am receiving uh, support from uh, not only the people in the riding, I'm getting emails and messages, etc., cheering me on, hoping I'm going to run against. But not only in the, pe- the people in the riding, I'm getting messaging from across the province um, to wishing me the best of luck. So I have heard nothing like that. Okay. I-, I appreciate you joining us today and giving us a bit of an update. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Have a wonderful day. That is Gwendolyn Dirk. She is the NDP candidate in Brooks Medicine Hat, as we said, up against Barry Morishita of the Alberta Party and Daniel Smith of the UCP as uh, Premier Smith seeks a seat within the legislature. As you know, the carbon tax back in the headlines. Uh, Daniel Smith talking about it as recently as yesterday, saying that she may relitigate, uh, saying based on new information around um, you know soaring costs globally, the situation in Ukraine, all the rest. Um, and uh, there's a lot of talk about energy, natural resources, and how we do the job that we need to do in supplying that to ourselves and our allies without this uh, incredible increase in cost that we've seen. Um, and what our federal government needs to do to manage this file. And as you know, there's been a lot of pushback, not only in Alberta, but Saskatchewan coming out very strong on this issue yesterday, too. So uh, Jonathan Wilkinson is joining us now, the Federal Natural Resources Minister and MP for North Vancouver. Uh, Minister Wilkinson, thank you for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Not at all. Thank you for having me. Uh, Let's start with uh, Danielle Smith and what she was talking about yesterday, saying, you know, perhaps there's some new information that's emerged around the conversation surrounding carbon taxes. She talked about the situation in Ukraine, global instability, the soaring costs that we're all seeing and saying she thinks there's a case to reopen this, uh, relitigate it and perhaps get some relief. Do you agree? Is that something that you think she uh, should be pursuing? Well, I, I do think that, you know, some of the things that have happened globally, um, particularly as they relate to energy security, are important new developments that we need to be talking about and finding pathways to ensure Canada is a, a reliable source of, of, um, of energy um, to the world. But in terms of uh, the Supreme Court case itself, I would just say, you know, it, uh, I'm not I'm not going to opine on what judges you know will or will not do, but I simply would say that um, it would be very unusual for the Supreme Court to rehear a case it just decided. Um, the bar is pretty high, and, and I think rather than spending more money on litigating, I think it behooves us to actually get around the table and, and have a conversation about how we can work together. Um, to that end, uh, the the federal conservatives raising something in the House quite recently, and a lot of Canadians talking about it as well. We're seeing soaring cost of living, a lot of it around energy. We all know what's going on with gas prices. The list goes on. Uh, we see provinces stepping up with rebates, with gas tax relief, all these sorts of things. The federal government to this point has not done any of that. Uh, there's been you know some GST things, but when it comes to energy, when it comes to those costs that Canadians are bearing right now, there's talk about why not pulling the carbon tax for a while while we're in this inflationary period. Nothing from the federal government. Should you be doing more? Well, issues around affordability are very important. I agree with you. And there are a number of ways to go about addressing them. Um, you, you touched on one of the ones that the federal government has looked at and, and has been uh, in the process of implementing, which is doubling the GST tax credit, um, also providing a payment to low-income renters. So addressing the, the affordability challenge that inflation brings, particularly for people who live on modest incomes, that's very important. 
Um, but obviously, on a go-forward basis, um, you know, the, the carbon price, I think it's important for folks to understand that where the federal system is in place, and that is true in Alberta with respect to the, uh, to the retail price, people get more money directly in their pockets than what they pay. And so that, that is not a cause of affordability issues. That is actually, in, in, for modest people who live on modest incomes, they actually get more money back. So it actually would cause more of an affordability issue if, in fact, you got rid of the price on pollution. And, of course, climate change hasn't gone away. We need to ensure that we're doing things to address affordability issues, to address energy security issues. But we also have to address the, the threat that climate change poses to our children. Um, and I think we've got a situation where... Um the aspiration and, 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 you know, what the laudable goals of addressing climate change have run into a bit of a reality, and there's a gap there. Um, the leader of Germany, of course, was in Canada last month making a case that, you know, more Canadian energy would be very, very welcome in Europe. Um, Prime Minister Trudeau was asked about it. He said there's no business case. To me, that was the business case. You've got the Prime Minister of Germany here saying we need more of your energy. Um, what's going on with that front? What's your take on how Canada can step in and help in Europe? Well, Canada can step in and help in Europe, and in fact, it already has been. I mean, one of the first things we did was um, make a commitment to increase production by 300,000 barrels a day by the end of this year to uh, to help to ensure that we were providing supply onto world markets to help our friends in Europe. Um, as you probably know, the LNG Canada facility, which is a very large liquid natural gas facility, will be up and running in 2024, and that will provide more supply into the world market, which again will help our friends in Europe. Um, with respect to East Coast LNG, I mean, I think the one thing that folks need to understand, and you can ask the pipeline companies that are based in Calgary, the, the, the biggest challenge there is shipping the gas from Alberta to New Brunswick mm-hmm. um, and the associated upgrades to pipelines that are required to meet the window that Germany has set, which is about three years they want to have displaced all of the Russian gas, um, is very challenging. And at the end of the day, um, the Germans would need to be willing to pay a premium for that. It's, it's going to be more expensive than gas that could be sourced from, from, uh, from the Gulf. So that is a conversation that continues with the Germans. Um, it's not over by any stretch. We have been working very hard. I talk to my German counterpart all the time. We are very interested in helping our, our German friends, and we have been working very hard to ensure that we're doing everything we can to do so. Um, Christian Freeland yesterday, uh, speaking at the Brookings Institute, was talking about this as well and talking about Canada's involvement in uh, what she calls friendshoring, a, a concept, you know, allies supporting each other, building uh, bulletproof supply chains and, and energy independence among our allies. And this is what she had to say. Canada must and will show similar generosity in fast-tracking, for example, the energy and mining projects our allies need to heat their homes and to manufacture electric vehicles. So what does that look like? What, what, what are we talking about here, aside from the plant that you talked about that might be running in two or three years? What are we doing to fast-track? What projects are underway? What's, what, what don't we know about? We're doing quite a number of things to fast track. One of them is we've established these uh, energy and resource tables that actually are going to be taking place in every province and territory that are looking at some of the major areas of economic opportunity going forward. But one of the key things that we are focused on with respect to those tables is aligning permitting and regulatory processes, finding a way to go faster with respect to projects that provinces and the federal government agree are strategic going forward. So that is something that we've launched with a number of provinces. We will be launching with a number of other provinces this week, and we will then be launching with the remaining provinces uh, hopefully over the next few months. 
Um, but certainly that is part of it. I would also say that we are looking at options in terms of um, identifying those projects that are most strategic and, and trying to establish mechanisms to actually move those forward more quickly. That's not novel. I mean, the, the, uh, the recent U.S. Inflation Reduction Act had a similar provision with respect to identifying 25 strategic projects and finding ways to move them more quickly. But, I mean, we're all the Americans, the Europeans, the, the Australians, we're all looking to find ways to ensure that we are friend-shoring, that we are putting ourselves into a position that we are not dependent on uh, less friendly regimes. I mean, the best the best example of that these days is critical minerals and the dependence that, that right now many have on China. We need to ensure that we have sources of supply that are reliable and robust going forward. I would say that even more than the critical minerals, uh, especially if you're in Germany or the UK or Europe going into the winter months dependent on Russian oil and gas, that might be the bigger issue right now. And um, do you see the disconnect here with the fact that we have these massive reserves of natural gas? We want to help, but we're not in a position to do so because of the way that we've handled infrastructure in this country and uh, the detriment that we find ourselves in. I mean, you've got the government of Saskatchewan uh, coming out with a policy paper to try and protect their industry the tune of a billion dollars a year or $10 billion a year. Uh, you know what's going on with Alberta and the Sovereignty Act pushing back against Ottawa. Um, there's a disconnect there. Uh, the provinces that have these resources are saying, we would like to sell them, we would like to, but they point the finger at you saying they can't. Well, I mean, first of all, I agree with you in terms of Germany and the dependence, and I think that's kind of the point I was making, which is nobody wants to be in the situation that Germany finds itself in by becoming so dependent on Russian oil and gas, and, and that's where it relates to China and critical minerals, etc. But, but in terms of... of uh, moving our resources to market, it is important that we are able to move our resources to market in a sustainable way. It's important for us to do that within a frame that, that addresses and acknowledges the reality of climate change. But yes, we need to be able to move faster. And to be honest with you, that's, that's exactly why the Impact Assessment Act was developed and put into place. I mean, you know, there are times where folks say, oh, well, there were 14 LNG projects in British Columbia that have been proposed, and only one, uh, and actually now two, are in the process of moving ahead. Well, well that's actually true, but they were all reviewed under Stephen Harper's um, impact, uh, environmental assessment process, which just did not work. And so this new process is intended to ensure that good projects can be, be built in a manner that is consistent with environmental sustainability, is consistent with discharging our obligations to Indigenous peoples, but good projects can move ahead in a thoughtful way. That's exactly what this is intended to do. In in, in regards to the relations with the province, uh, clear, would you would you concede that there needs to be some work there when you've got Alberta and Saskatchewan both coming out with these, you know, more sovereign stances, however you want to characterize it. You know what it's about basically saying the relationship that they have with you and with Ottawa just doesn't work anymore. Well, I, I, I certainly agree that the Federation works best when we can actually find ways to collaborate. There is no question. Um, and, you know, as somebody who grew up in Saskatchewan, <laughs> we worked for the government of Saskatchewan, um, I, I feel very close to some of the angst that is felt on the part of Saskatchewanians and Albertans. Um, I think it's important that we are leaning forward to try to ensure that we're engaging in a productive way. I have certainly endeavored to do so over the course of, uh, of the period of time that I've been in public office. Um, and, and I will tell you that my relationship with, with Minister Savage and before that with Minister Nixon was actually a very productive one. But clearly we need to continue to talk and we need mm-hmm. to find ways to actually move forward. That's, to be honest, what these regional tables were about was saying to Alberta, you know, 
what are your priorities from a, from a go-forward perspective in terms of the economic opportunities that exist as we move towards a future that globally is going to have to be lower carbon? And how do we actually work together on that? That's exactly the offer that, that we are making to, uh, to Alberta, is how do we work together in a way that can be collaborative and can benefit Albertans? I think we would all like to see that. Uh, Minister Wilkinson, unfortunately, I'm out of time, but I do thank you for joining us today. Not at all. Thanks. Uh, thanks for the time. That is Jonathan Wilkinson, the Federal Natural Resources Minister and the MP for North Vancouver. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favourite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. (laughs) For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.